Welcome to Adulting Therapists, a podcast where two Portland therapist friends discuss what it's like to be a therapist, what we do to take care of ourselves, and meet with special guests to talk about mental health issues, stigma, and more. I'm Emily. And I'm Corey. And we're Adulting Adulting Therapists. Hello. Hey. Welcome to Hashtag Adulting Therapists, episode number five? Sure. Why not? Yeah, sure. I guess it's five. Um, So we have finally fallen... Excuse me. We have finally (laughs) followed through with our promise of bringing a guest to the podloft today. Hello. Um, (laughs) I'd like to introduce uh, Lauren Pritz, who is a uh, MFT intern. So he's a marriage and family therapist intern. Um, Lauren works primarily with non-monogamous couples. Is that right? Yeah. Most of my clientele are queer and trans or somewhere in that spectrum. Um, and probably about 60% of my population is, is relation, probably about 60% of my population is relationships and, uh, most of those are, are non-monogamous or somewhere on that spectrum. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <clears throat> well, awesome. how, how do we know each other, Lauren? Uh, we went to school together. We did. And we you were did. a year ahead of me and mm-hmm. we both were going to write like theses about polyamory and we both bailed. Yeah. <laughs> I bailed entirely because I didn't even start a thesis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We um, we didn't adult as much as we could. No. We were still I adulted the amount that I was able to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Grad, school Grad school was bad. <laughs> for, for who? For you? For or? me. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was mm-hmm. a bad time. No, it was just hard. I did not adult as much as I wanted to. I had grand mm-hmm. plans. I was yeah. like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to get a side D afterward. And then I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I, I just, know enough. I decided I was done with school afterwards. I was like, yeah. I'm just never going back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I remember I was, like, very gung-ho about getting the MS, because the, there's the option to get, like, your Master's of Science if you yeah. do a thesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like, I like to blame it on... My thesis advisor changed, and I wasn't very pleased with that. I do really, recall you yeah. back in our, when mm-hmm. we first met, and you were um, doing your internship with me, and you were like, oh, I'm going to get an MS. And I was like, man, she's so accomplished. She can do my group notes and get an MS. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel so, like, vindicated that you were like, nah. <laughs> I'm so glad that my disappointment to myself makes you so happy. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's how friendship works, right? Totally. That's how validation works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. We have a healthy relationship. It's I very... love you, and also you're not better than me. <laughs> <laughs> it feels so good. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. So as a, um, a therapist that works with, uh, non-monog couples and like queer and trans people, like how do you see yourself as being different than, um, a therapist that might more often work with heteronormative people? You know, that's like an interesting one. I, so me and my partner see a therapist that's not non-monogs and, She's, like, really great. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we saw a therapist before that that was not, non-mon- like not non-monogamous or queer or anything, and she was just awful. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems to really depend on, like, your personal style and your mm-hmm. perspective. I think one of the things is there's a sense of safety in just knowing somebody is maybe a little bit less norming 
um, less likely to throw a lot of, like, make assumptions based on typical scripts. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to know that right off the bat, and I don't think it requires being, like, I identify as non-monogamous and queer and, you know, trans-affirming and all that, but I don't think it necessarily requires that. I think there's lots of therapists that can do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like what lens you like look through the world with. Like if you're looking through like a very um, black and white lens of what relationships and sexuality should look like. Yeah. Probably wouldn't do a great job of working with uh, non-monog or, yeah. or queer people just in general. So I, what I heard you say is that sometimes therapists are just not good. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I, like, I mean, I do think there's, like, something really special about, you know, I mean, I identify that way, and there's a a level of accountability that I have to my clients Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that they shouldn't have to explain things to me. Yeah. I mean, you always have to explain a little bit about your personal identity, but um, at least broader political things to me. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no, like, I was just thinking about, so we went went and got a, a salad the other day, or I got a salad, I don't know what you got, because uh-huh. I wasn't paying attention, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we went and got lunch, and I was like, uh, you know, like, we both studied um, polyamory and non-monogamy in grad school, and uh, I used a word incorrectly, and you were like, didn't you go to grad school and study this? <laughs> like, you were super sassy with me. And it was really funny. But, like, you know, I like... I would never do that. You know, that's the type of situation that might emerge with, yeah. you know, a... Um, what did I say? I said paramour Metam- instead metamor. of metamor uh-huh. or something. Yeah. So, what are those terms? Tell us, uh, what is yeah, non-monogamy? Like, what? What? <laughs> so, uh, non-monogamy is... I mean, it means you're not monogamous, obviously. Yeah. Um, and, and what I is think- monogamy? Maybe we should even go back further. Let's operationalize. Like, what is the construct of monogamy? And this is why you were going to get that thesis, because you just said the word, what? Construct. Oh, what? You were talking, like, <laughs> science. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, so I, I view non-monogamy as, like, a spectrum of different behaviors uh, where, and I, th- I don't know. I think of it like queerness. Like, when you get into a certain point in queer theory, you're like, oh, everybody's a little queer. Even, like, straight straight people are, like, are a little queer. There's, like, some, mm-hmm. some amount of variation from the scripts and norms. Mm-hmm. And I think of non-monogamy as really pretty similar. That, like, somebody is... People are somewhere on that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you're trying to figure out a way to, to, to help people figure out that spectrum, to normalize that spectrum... And to kind of work through it. And I would say it kind of varies from, you know, there's like monogamish couples um, who are mostly like pretty primary and pretty much meet each other's needs. And monogamy mostly works except for exceptions. And then you have people who are more like relationship anarchisty, which is like not part of polyamory, but, um, but really about like not bringing in any scripts whatsoever. Mm-hmm. which I think is impossible. But, like, but a good, you know, a good thing to be shooting for is, like, making everything overt. Right. And <clears> then <throat> I think, like, even when you go back all the way on the monogamous side of, like, people who identify as monogamous, mm-hmm. there's still, like, a lot of variability in how people kind of identify in their relationship. Like, for some couples, like, the, you know, a partner hanging out with a same-gendered friend is inappropriate, or that would be, like, breaking a boundary 
Um, or, you know, like other monogamous couples, it'd be okay for one of the partners to go to a strip club and get a lap dance. Like, yeah. maybe that would be an appropriate, mm-hmm. um, like, within their boundaries of a monogamous person. Or mm-hmm. for another person, maybe that would be non-monogamous behavior. Yeah. You know? So, like, the spectrum is so large. You know? Yeah. Huge yeah. spectrum. And so last week, we talked a lot about relationships and... Um, I'm guessing that communication piece is huge mm-hmm. um, if this is, if um, you're in a non-monogamous relationship, that communication, consent, and just, like, talking about yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> talking a lot with your partner, doing a lot of internal work to figure out what you want. And, mm-hmm. and, and then there's always this piece that is, like, you have a theoretical identity you know, like I identify more like on the relationship anarchisty style, but I wind up in relationships sometimes that do not look like that at all. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, so kind of figuring out like you have like a theoretical, like this is what I believe about love. And then you have a, this is who I actually am when I'm in relationship with another human being, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And if you're like, I identify as RA, but I find myself in enmeshed relationships that are like, that are maybe very, very intense and, and don't feel good, then, like, you have to figure out some of those pieces, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, our, our relationship <coughs> to relationships is so dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's so many, like, kind of identity scales that we could talk about about different relationships. Like, who are you attracted to? Yeah. Like, what, um, you know, like, what gender are you attracted to? Like, what kind of person are you attracted to? Like, what... Um, what people are you attracted to, like, romantically? Because those things can be different. Like, mm-hmm. sexual attraction, romantic attraction can be super different. You know, like, there's all these, like, amazingly dynamic scales um, that, you know, wow. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, certainly more information and topics to cover in an hour. Yeah. Yeah. I'm realizing this. So if it's not clear, I am I am uh, a little bit of the odd man out over here who's pretty much brand new. I did take a couple of classes in grad school um, mm-hmm. where, like, a couple's counseling and, um, you know, LGBTQ mm-hmm. um, community was the, the focus, but that's definitely not something that I have the most amount of experience with, so I'm learning a lot today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I might be that one therapist who's like, <laughs> but I feel like because I'm and I think that's important for a lot of therapists to say like I don't know much about this yeah and to and to either and to have that conversation either I feel like we are a good fit in many other ways and I can learn yeah. or do you feel like you're having to explain things to me and I'm not following along and you're mm-hmm. doing a lot of work to teach me something because you don't want to have to teach your therapist <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I think with some like sometimes with good therapy like the amount to which they understand the ins and outs of everything is less important than that they're just tracking the emotional content. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so that therapist that we saw that didn't really feel good, they got really hung up in, like, like the P's and Q's of it all, and, like, and they really didn't need to. They just kind of needed to, like, hmm. be like, oh, you feel anxious, and you feel yeah. stifled, you know, like, mm-hmm. to to really hone into that, you know. So. Yeah, like to be less focused on the like facts and more mm-hmm. focused on the emotions. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, you're feeling jealous or you're feeling insecure or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that happens in a lot of therapeutic relationships, especially, you know, we work with families a lot that mm-hmm. can happen of like, oh, tell me every little detail. And it's like, does it matter? 
the yeah. emotions are <laughs> yeah. Yeah. what's yeah. the main focus here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so another thing that I noticed that um, makes you different from other therapists is that um, you talk a lot about uh, like sex and kink positivity. Yeah. So like, what do those things mean? Um, I like... I think of this with everything. Like, mm-hmm. everything is kind of like a spectrum, right? And yeah. kink is definitely a spectrum, too. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my... The people that I see and the relationships that I see, even people who don't identify as kinky, have some degree of power exchange that they engage in mm-hmm. um, or that they like or would want to engage in. Um, you know, kink is a really broad category that can encapsulate like a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, For some people it's really about the power. For some people it's really about sensation. Um, So figuring that, like figuring that out. And once again, like this is not a thing that actively comes into the room very often where like the knowledge of it is very important, but just being able to like affirm that, that this is a, a thing that's important for people that like their fantasy lives um, can be viewed in a non-judgmental way, mm-hmm. especially because we are conditioned to have judgment about these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel that that's what's really important is just bringing, like, an open mind and not being like, you like, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know? Oh, my gosh, that brings us to one of the, the listener, <clears throat> listener questions, uh-huh. uh, which was, um, you know, for you in specific, like, have you ever you know, seen a couple or an individual for sex therapy and been like, what? Like, in response to, like, their kink or, like, what they're into or whatever. Like, have you ever had a moment of being like, what? Like, yeah. (laughs) Record Record scratch? scratch. (laughs) Uh, No, I have not personally had that moment. I, I mean, I think it's like anybody who navigates the kink community, you get to a point where you're like, your kink is not my kink. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be celebrated in some way yeah. that I'm around and I can mm-hmm. be part of that celebrating, even if I don't understand um, some of the things. That, and this is a thing that I'm really honest with people about is that there is like I am a feminist therapist. And if a couple comes in and, you know, one person like and somebody holds power in all these different dimensions um, and then they have a kink relationship and the the power is consistent across all those different things. Um, <clears throat> I think at some point, like, you need to look at how you differentiate your kink relationship mm. from just uh, oppressive, you know? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. when, you know, like, making sure that while you're navigating the kinky part of your relationship, you're also paying attention to, like, the power dynamic. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I could see how a power dynamic could instantly make a kinky situation feel really unsafe Mm -hmm. exactly you know or really oppressive yeah 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 and those those things as you know can bleed over right Mm -hmm. um like financial things don't just go away (laughs) yeah you know so if there's um i'm guessing if there's a like a a power dynamic there Mm -hmm. that is not wanted or is part of that yeah Mm -hmm. even if that's you know part of your kink is wanting that in other ways it's like Maybe that's not for all the times. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe equalize some of the power before you try yeah. to throw more power dynamics in, in your relationship. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, or at least know how you... how you Be aware of it. Mm-hmm. How you, yeah, be aware of it and carry mm-hmm. that awareness. Like, if you have a 24-7 dynamic... Um, Can you explain what that is? 
it just means like mm-hmm. that you move in and you move in and out of it all the time like it's a, a constant you move in and out of like a um a sexual relationship that involves like power like right? a kink re- relationship mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it may not be necessarily uh i mean it may not necessarily be about sex but you may have an arrangement with your partner mm-hmm. where they always do a thing mm-hmm. or they are always subject to do something for you some people have mm-hmm relationship with their partner where like their partner can manage what they eat or what they wear so you know if you're it and i'm not and that can be done in a really good way and a really negative way like there's all kinds of ways to hold power and but at some point if you're like say the older partner the male partner the dominant partner the partner who makes more money the partner who like, at some point, we're going to talk about male privilege. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You better not be like, what? <laughs> yeah, right. Because that would be concerning to me. I yeah. would be like, how do you how do you engage in this? Re- like, consent is big and understanding all the mm-hmm. pieces mm-hmm. that nobody comes to the, uh, nobody comes to the negotiating table from a, an even place. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be a thing that happens with kink. It's a thing that happens with relationship anarchy because relationship anarchy is very much about like negotiating mm-hmm. your arrangements with your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes in sometimes people who hold a lot of privilege are like, well, I really like relationship anarchy. And I'm like, and, and it's great. It's a great thing, but it doesn't replace the need to like understand your power and act ethically because Mm -hmm. you can be like well I very clearly said these things Mm -hmm. and use it to like maybe not not be accountable for norms that you've instituted in the relationship or not be accountable for ways that you haven't checked in when you should Mm -hmm. you know so just to clarify um like relationship anarchy as I understand it is kind of the idea that um like you kind of seek out whatever sort of connection that you choose and you don't feel necessarily like inhibited by any sort of um primary relationship or anything you're just kind of um you know like kind of doing your own thing and not really holding a lot of expectations to what a relationship might look like if you even define it as a relationship at all like is that kind of what you mean when you say relationship anarchy or if i gotten it wrong um i think it's like i think that's Mm -hmm. those are our possible pieces of it but I, i would say the essence of relationship anarchy is just that you don't bring in, like, scripts Mm -hmm. for how relationships should go into what you do with your partner. Mm -hmm. So I think that used to be, like, there used to be a lot of, that that was, like, what relationship anarchy meant a lot in practice, but um, I would say what it means, like, that there's a broader spectrum of people identifying as relationship anarchists, and um, some of them, like, have partnerships where they have kids together or mm-hmm. where they have like financial agreements together. It's not like they're necessarily solo, solo mm-hmm. poly, for mm-hmm. instance, where you're like doing mm-hmm. those things. Um, and you're, and you don't act like you have like a, like an like anchor partner. partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, so these, yeah. So I would say that it can be pretty broad in mm-hmm. practice. The big idea is just that you're, you're negotiating those things mm-hmm. instead of assuming yeah, 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 absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's interesting that you say, like, that, um, like, you use that as an example. Because mm-hmm. I know just, like, from, from my experience, we talked about Tinder uh, a bit yes. uh, during our last uh, 
um, podcast, and uh, I feel like, you know, I've definitely seen that as a way that some people with privilege choose mm-hmm. to engage in their relationships and not mm-hmm. have a lot of accountability. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's a bummer. Yeah, that was definitely something that um, I remember someone saying a long time ago in grad school when we were kind of talking about different uh, relationship types, and they are like, well, I'm having a really hard time wrapping my head around how this isn't just male privilege. And oh. in a heterosexual relationship, how this isn't just, like, I'm getting to now engage in this, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I get to do what I want and I'm getting the benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting question. I didn't love the way it was phrased at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought it was, you know, definitely an interesting way to bring in, yeah, mm-hmm. how, do, how do we account for different people's privilege and how do we account for, mm-hmm. um, you know, people using this as, as Tinder uh, <laughs> some of our experiences there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. as Tinder. That didn't make sense, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Words. Yeah. 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 And I mean, like, that's the big thing, because, like, they, you know, I, I think uh, people who engage in this lifestyle, myself included, can get really, like, high horse, like, oh, it's ethical non-monogamy and stuff. Yeah. And the truth is, there's a lot of ways, you know, there's no formula for relationships that makes it ethical like you mm-hmm. have to do the work of... yeah yeah like ethical non-monogamy <clears throat> does not mean that people's feelings don't get hurt yeah yeah and that people aren't real shitty yeah in their yeah. practices right you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 i mean i think um you know see, just seeing the amount of poly and non-monogamous people that i have in my in my practice i think that you know just like any relationship it's challenging mm-hmm. you know like um you know, being monogamous is really hard. Being polyamorous is also really hard. You yeah. know, like, mm-hmm. I think that any relationship requires, like, a lot of communication, a yeah. lot of work, especially, like, um, when we're going against scripts that have been, you know, pumped into us since birth. Yeah. You know, like, Disney movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't see a lot of non-monogamous couples in Disney movies. No. There, I mean, there's, is there any positive media attention or media representation of non-monogamy that you know of. Snow White and Sub Dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was so quick. You knew that one. You've been waiting on that one. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't really think that there is. Like, I'm kind of thinking about, like, the first thing that comes to mind is, like, uh, Lady Gaga and her partner in American Wait, is that Horror. How you say it? No, it's Lady Gaga. <laughs> I'm just a jerk. Uh, but Lady Gaga in um, American Horror Story Hotel. Her and her partner were oh, non-monogamous. Okay. I, I don't know. Seen that one. That's like I the first that one thing that comes to my mind. I can't watch scary movies. And you know, not a super positive depiction because they kill people. <laughs> you spoiled it. Sorry. Sorry, guys. It's a little... I mean, it's like we're five years out. Yeah. Like, if you wanted to see it, you probably would have already seen it. I don't know. I'm good. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I yeah. can't even really think of... Like, can anybody think of... I've heard House of Cards has... Oh, yeah. Some absolutely. functional open relation... I, I haven't seen it. And they're politicians, so of course they're unethical. But, like, uh. also, like, to be fair, like, they are literally using their non-monogamous behavior as, like, a manipulative strategy to gain power. Uh. <laughs> Not in, like, a fun, sexy, kinky way, like, in a, like, we are going to take over the American government uh. sort of... Should I watch okay. this show? You probably should. Okay. I feel left out. <laughs> well, that, that was not how it was represented to me. Also, oh. it's not explicitly non-monogamous. Like, they're not, like, talking about it. Mm-hmm. But Sensei, it was, like, a really good example. Oh, yeah. Yes, I love that show. Yeah. Yes, okay. Because they have the potential like love triangle, like 
man, you like slept with my girl, you know? <laughs> and then they just like don't go there. And yeah. They're just like, yeah, we don't need to. Yeah. Um, and the way they deal with it is like beautiful in so many ways because it's like a beautiful example of um, men interacting in like a really positive way mm-hmm. around sexual jealousy without, you know, without like othering the other person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 I liked, I mean, I don't know if you haven't, have you seen the show? I've seen a couple episodes of it, but I'm not familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, you should watch mm-hmm. it. It was great. Um, I like binge watched the whole thing mm-hmm. rapidly and stayed up all night. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I love the, the representation of, well, first of all, the absurdity of like everyone just being like, oh, you like see other people and they're here with, okay, cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's talk about this dude. <laughs> like that just seemed like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, which kind of laid the framework for, like, the, the openness that yeah. kind of followed. Like, I don't need to question that you're, that's your lived experience. I accept you for, for what you're telling me is how you're experiencing the world. Mm-hmm. And also, it doesn't hurt that they met in person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I do like the way that that relationship unfolded. hmm Yeah, like, we have a lot of content to, like... Um, a lot of content that we're exposed to that focuses on, um, you know, society telling us that monogamous jealousy is appropriate. Yeah. You know, like that, yeah. um, like, like we so, see so many, you know, like movies, TV, you know, internet bullshit, uh, that says that like, it's an, appro- like, um, being jealous is an appropriate response. Yeah. To like partner sexualities, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. in movies, you know, like women wearing promiscuous clothing, how could you go out like that? Fight, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Men having female friends, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, yeah. all that. Like, we see that Or even day. that meme um, mm-hmm. with the guy walking with his partner and looking at the other. Yeah. And then she's so mad. Are you describing a meme for a podcast right now? Uh, yeah. Like, I totally got it, but I'm also just like, oh, my God. I, I had no idea, but just instantly agreed. Like, I... Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll show yeah. you some memes about it later. Yeah, like, the guy's like... Yeah, and then but even that's like... like that it's just, like, yeah. that That was so normed as, like, it's appropriate to be jealous at someone looking at someone else. Which, of course, if that's not, if that's something that is of concern in your relationship and mm-hmm. hasn't been explored um, and everyone's got their varying levels of things. But I think it goes to kind of show, like, that was a meme that is, like, about everything. It's, like, you know, garlic bread and cheesy bread, or, you know, like, we use it for everything. <laughs> but the, the idea at the center of it is that jealousy is so normalized. That yeah. we all relate with it. Yeah. You know, like, we all see it and we're like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. I yeah. felt that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we this... should, ooh, you should talk about compersion. <gasps> the oh, idea yeah. of compersion. Yeah. Tell me about this. I've never heard of this word before, <laughs> even though I just said it. Me neither. <laughs> I have. This one I have. <laughs> what is the idea of compersion? Um, I mean, I think Sensei was actually a re- really good example of this. Yeah. You see them enjoying their the, the other person having a love for their partner. Um, and enjoying watching that relationship, you know, we are all wired to enjoy, to, I think, I think it, it can be a natural thing to be, that we might actually be wired to enjoy watching people that we love, love other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the idea behind it. Obviously for some people, their inherent reaction to that is not that thing. Um, and you know, that's, that's also an emotion that jealousy comes up a lot mm-hmm. um and but compersion is that idea like that that it can actually be 
like a happy, fulfilling thing to watch your partner. It brings you joy and happiness to watch yeah. someone you love be, be happy. happy. Yeah, <laughs> and be in love with someone else, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. So that's, like, kind of the idea behind it. I think we're so, like, we, the, like, love triangle has become such a big narrative in our culture that we think of everything having to be that way. Um, and I think for a lot of people, my, like myself included, like I've always been really bored when I watch that cause I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why are you jealous? You should be happy. Yeah. Like why, why <laughs> do we have to, like, why is this choice like yeah. on us? Why is there the competitiveness and the mm-hmm. whatever? And that may, you know, to other people that may seem very idealistic. Um, but but it's like my maybe my natural tendency is to not to yeah. not understand some of that as much mm-hmm. and um, for certain other people like this whole idea of compersion is like nope mm-hmm. nope that's just not what I feel and yeah well, I love yeah. the idea of um, you know like love not being like a finite resource mm-hmm. you know like I've heard that a lot in talking about non-monogamy is that like you cannot like there is no like stopper for the amount of love that you can show other people mm-hmm. you know yeah. or the pe- like amount of people that you can love right yeah. like. You can have two best friends. Yeah. I'm sorry if I'm telling anyone this and it's blowing their mind. You can adopt a third cat. (laughs) (laughs) You can adopt a fourth cat, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I don't know. It could happen. (laughs) But, um, yeah, like, like I remember, you know, like, learning that, like, love is not a finite resource. Mm -hmm. Um, What Mm -hmm. is a finite resource, though, is time. Time and And attention. And, like, negotiating the time and attention part of those loves is kind of... um, you know, where, where I found myself kind of drifting away from the idea of, like, a hard and fast polyamorous lifestyle because mm. I was like, I don't have time, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I don't really like being social all the time. Those are, like, my two... <laughs> those are the two things that inhibit me from being, like, 100% poly is that, like, I just don't really like spending a lot of time with a lot of people. Um... <laughs> As someone who works in the social services, I mean, I probably shouldn't say that on, like, a public broadcast here. No, I mean, I think you know where your energy lies, where Mm -hmm. your depletion and where your, like, restock happens, and Mm -hmm. just learn that about yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, also, I'm sure all of us exist somewhere on that spectrum, you know, where Mm -hmm. maybe there's more gray areas in between mono and poly Mm -hmm. than... You know, even what our limited access to Lady Gaga and <laughs> Sensei might teach us about relationships. I uh, uh, I like I, I I feel like when I started becoming a therapist, yeah. I've always thought of myself as like a consummate extrovert. Like I am an extrovert, mm-hmm. and then you get home from like a long day of therapy, yeah. and you're like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enough. Yeah. I need to not be around people. Like, yeah. you know, like talking to another person and having, and I've had to explain this to my partner and be, and be like, you know, like, okay, this is, I need like some, some down <laughs> yeah. time. I think we or should like, have a, an mm-hmm. episode where it's just partners of therapists come talk mm-hmm. about what like, it's support, like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah, you know, when they come home, it's just like. I need, like, don't talk to me, like, (laughs) I'm done, I have no, I'm numb, like, anything that you might have at the end of the day is... Or, like, I just need five minutes to just vent. Yeah. Because everyone vents at me all day, and then I'm like, I kind of want to vent a little bit. Yeah. You know, like, because I'm also super extroverted, but I think this career... Yeah. ...really, uh, inhibits our ability to be full-time extroverts. Mm -hmm. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Yeah. 
<laughs> like just a few minutes ago, I was like, I was going to go to that thing and then I didn't. I just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we were talking about a lecture that me and Corey both really wanted to go to. She was like, I was tired. I just, I just had been done. I, I was, was like, also tired. Done. Yeah. It just happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't want to have to like network and stuff. I just couldn't talk to another person. Mm-hmm. I needed sweatpants and mac and cheese. Ugh. Vegan mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is why we're friends. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can just not hang out and just text each other and that's enough. <laughs> I'm pissed about this. Well, I'm pissed about this. Okay, bye. I mean, here's my... Montepulciano do a That's literally... Mm-hmm. Text expert. Excerpts. Um, Excerpts. Should we get back on track? Um, yes. I feel like we've really neglected a really important part of this podcast, and I just want to stop and reorient to our value system. Yes. Um, we have not talked about any cats... I knew it was going to be cats. I knew it was going to be cats. Well, you just made a reference (laughs) to their name from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we do have Huxley in the room. He's sleeping. Earlier, you may have have heard him um, scratching at our closet door for Mm. escape. Um... It's because I'm in the room. Not because he's in the closet. You should maybe... Yeah. <laughs> you do not like your cat in the closet. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, not trying to get out of the closet to get into the closet. Um, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Not an animal abuser, to my knowledge. I do squeeze my cats more than they like, but... Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's the, the price they pay for living indoors. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having you scoop their poop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the part in it between you and cat. Yeah, between you and cat. Yeah. <laughs> Your human privilege. Yeah. Right? Oh my gosh, I'm the worst vegan ever. Um, okay, I want to hear about um, something that we chatted briefly about earlier. Um, Monopoly. Oh, Tell yeah. me about the the game of Monopoly. The Monopoly. And how that couples. relates to your to your practice. Yeah, so I, at some point, started to see a lot of clients where one was more wired for monogamy and one was more wired for Mm -hmm. non-monogamy. What do you mean when you say, like, more wired for it? Like, what are kind of, like, the the symptoms, or not the symptoms, but, like, what What? would you notice in someone? (laughs) What's the pathology of monogamy? Um, what I would, you know, like, and people have different ideas about Mm -hmm. this. For some people, they're like, this isn't in orientation and for them that means like innate like there's some there's like Mm -hmm. a a gay gene and there's a non-monogamous gene and and Mm -hmm. uh you know like then you get into a lot of philosophical conversations i think of these as like orientation but Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily think that is you know i'm neutral on the nature versus nurture debate in general yeah because who the fuck knows right (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but i would say that some people their orient i I've gotten to this point where I think, like, really most, if you have a relationship coming in to see you, it is most helpful to think of them as mixed orientation. Mm-hmm. And that's true about queerness, and it's true about, you know, it's true about, like, religious and spiritual beliefs. It's true about, like, every aspect. And I think that's true with, like, monogamy versus non-monogamy as well, is, like, really understanding that most people have a mixed orientation, and they have sometimes wrongfully assume that the other person is more like them than they are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's because they use the same language, but they're talking about very different things. Yeah. Yeah. Like just monogamy. Yeah. Can mean two different things to two different Mm -hmm. people. Exactly. Kind of how we talked about that spectrum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it could mean you meet all my needs, right, over mm-hmm. here, or it could mean, like, I'm really independent. Mm-hmm. You just expect sexual exclusivity from, you know, the person that I want to build a life with, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> Monopoly, would I, I started at some point realizing that a lot of my, uh, the relationships that I was seeing fit into a, a dynamic where one was more, um, more monogamously inclined and the other was like somewhere really deep on the non-monogamy spectrum um and i've like talked about those as my monopoly couples because i think it's clever Uh, (laughs) monopoly does everyone get it i literally just got it (laughs) i was laughing and smiling along like i knew but i didn't earlier he was like we should talk about monopoly for sure and i was like yeah <laughs> and then it took me like three beats and i was like oh yeah yeah monopoly got it got it yeah, yeah. take me a second it took me in, i was just like yeah monopoly mm-hmm. yeah i was literally thinking about like because someone's on park avenue and someone's not <laughs> <laughs> do not pass it <laughs> The amount of like um, like conflict in the relationship is like what it would be like if you were playing a game of Monopoly. With oh, your that partner. would be a good one. Yeah, right. Because that is a fight starter. Yeah, yeah seriously. Yeah, like whoever you gotta trust whoever's the bank. Yeah. 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 <laughs> My brother always won and was always the bank, and I was like, mm. yeah, you're just a cheater. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know him, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get me. Yeah. <laughs> Feel so seen today. <laughs> So, okay, so yeah, so tell me about the um, what? Um, how do you how do you manage when one person is mana and the other one is pali? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, like, I think that's a good thing about being a therapist is mm-hmm. like realizing like you don't have to. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> like, we don't have to solve people's problems. <laughs> I know. Sorry. Oh, like, what a relief! A revelation. <laughs> Um, I think particularly around non-monogamy is a place where people can be really norming Mm -hmm. and some of the information that's out there and written can be really helpful. Like if I'm like talking, if I see people and I'm like, there's a lot of couple privilege here and there's like a wealth of information out there about couple privilege and how it manifests in non-monogamous relationship. That's like when somebody is in a relationship that has already like that's already pre-established and they start dating somebody new and the original relationship has more power yes. than the new partner and the new partner mm-hmm. may not get voice over some of those things mm-hmm. so like you know that's a thing that like there's like some literature out there of very varying quality mm-hmm. um but you know the, that's a good concept but ultimately what it comes down to is people figure this out themselves you know mm-hmm. um and I don't really see it as my job to, like, give them, like, how to figure that out as much as just creating a safe space where everybody can express mm-hmm. their needs because that's really hard. Like, a lot of people feel pressure to be monogamous and mm-hmm. a lot of people feel pressure to be non-monogamous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I imagine that would, yeah, if you if you love your partner and you want to please them and you want them to yeah. be happy and you want to stay with them, that you might be feel pressured or maybe even agree to things that you didn't necessarily really feel truly ready for or want to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of um, queer folks, queer and trans folks in particular, that, like, feel like there's an inherent pressure in that community to be Mm non-monogamous, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... 
I mean, it's interesting, too, because I feel like, um, you know, like, <clears throat> historically thinking about, like, how queer people had to kind of create their own map for, mm-hmm. for relationships and, like, how they would negotiate their boundaries and it being so different, like, being that, like, non-monogamy is kind of the next frontier yeah. of, like, relationship dynamics, like, it makes sense to me that it's, like, you know, like, the people who are already kind of in a position where they're, like, I'm ready to negotiate things differently might be more interested in having non-traditional relationship dynamics just because they're already kind of like, well, I already don't fit the model, (laughs) you know, like versus like people who are in heteronormative relationships who are like, I've never had to question, you know, like I've been told for years what the dynamics of my relationship are. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have to do any work, Mm -hmm. you know? I just like, look on TV. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and memes. <laughs> memes. And if you're a man in our culture, you're like, I don't have to do emotional labor or dishes or... <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, okay, so we have two more uh, questions that I would love answers for. Our listeners would love answers for. Um, one of them is, uh, what is it like to be a therapist in a community that you're involved in? So, like, you've said before that, um, like, you're, you're kind of out and open as being, like, a non-monogamous person, and yeah. you, you know, are a therapist. Um, so how do you kind of negotiate the boundaries of being a therapist in a community that you also participate in? That's a, a hard one. I feel Portland is really small, mm-hmm. and then if you're part of, like, the queer non-monogamous community, um, it is much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I don't know, like, a lot of, as somebody who, like, I'm non-binary, and, and I'm queer, and I'm non-monogamous, and I'm kinky, and the, all my, most of my clients also fit these, fit these things, mm-hmm. um, so there's, like, I am just really frank with my clients about the fact that there might be overlap, mm-hmm. um, and I try to be transparent about that. I, I, like, have come to be really transparent about places that I'm not willing to give up, like social mm-hmm. spaces. Um, like friend groups or, you know, communities yeah. that are, yeah. you're involved in. Exactly. If like, if we share this community, mm-hmm. this is a community that I'm like, I'm willing to leave if you're uncomfortable, like a specific event. But afterwards, we need to have a conversation about how we can be mm-hmm. okay with being in that same place. So it's a conversation I have really proactively. Mm-hmm. I kind of think it's a lot like being a therapist in a small town. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, it's yeah. overlapping a lot with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, like therapists in small towns kind of expect that some of the lines are going to be blurry between mm-hmm. them and their clients um, just because, uh, you know, you go to the grocery store, you see a client, you go to um, you go to dinner, you see a client. Yeah. You know, there's mm-hmm. just kind of no kids, escaping it. Soccer team coach is your client. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in the same way, you know, it is, you know, the polyamorous queer kink world is a small town. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. in this wonderfully liberal and sex positive place. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, also like a lot of these are not normal, like normal quote unquote things to do. Um, and there can be a lot of societal shame around them. So Sometimes it's not the most comfortable thing to see your therapist at, like, a, yeah. a munch, which is, like, a kinky social gathering, mm-hmm. or um, some of these spaces. So I want to make it clear to my clients that I'm willing to make, like, reasonable accommodations, um, but that, for the most part, like, I would like to see clients who, if, you know, would would be okay with sharing social spaces, mm-hmm. um, seeing me at Pride, or seeing me... Yeah. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, or, and like, this is a thing that's come up. Like I've definitely had times with a client where they've mentioned a friend or something and I'm like, oh, I have gone on a date with that person or, mm-hmm. and that's just part of being in Portland, part of this yeah. little subsection, you mm-hmm. know? Luckily we don't have to deal with that because neither of us go out ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Regardless of our orientation or relationship <laughs> style, socializing. We just stay in. <laughs> no negotiations necessary, clients. Do you ever have like a neighborhood cat that you like wonder if that's like one of your clients' cats though? Like this could somehow affect you somewhere. Are you telling me that there's more neighborhood cats to rescue? <laughs> you know about my neighborhood yeah. cat. Yeah, it's true, Henry. Yeah, I have a neighborhood cat. Yeah, and I literally last night was telling my husband, I was like. I wonder if he has some secret family we don't know about. Oh. <laughs> and maybe we're the ones he's, like, yeah. cheating on. Or he, he, we're the, we're the, you is know. This, the on. other, we're the, the other house. <laughs> we're the other house. <laughs> I think this is the second podcast in a row that we've talked about cats having a secret family. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to keep track. It's such yeah. a regular conversation. I just want to yeah, say right. all cats are relationship anarchists. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it really looks like. Look at a cat. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe dogs too, though. Dogs are just like poly, and they are in a yeah. relationship with every it's, person they meet. I don't know. They're so. She like, is, though. I don't know. Your yeah. dog. Your dog is. She hates everybody equally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm. I'm curious about this though. Like, yeah. uh, so you know, do do two of you see couples, right, or mm-hmm. some? Not particular. Uh, no, not really. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, well, how much do you work with attachment theory? Quite, yeah. I mean, I do you quite do a bit. You do quite a bit more yeah. than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I work pretty exclusively with, like, OCD and anxiety disorders. Yeah. Um, so, just a little bit of a mm-hmm. different dynamic that's being brought to the therapy session. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, when we work with, we both have our experience working with attachment and families, so mm-hmm. I'm following you. Okay. <laughs> well, because I feel like that's mostly what I do. Yeah. With, like, with whenever the relationship comes in, it's like you usually have cycles of anxiety and avoidance. And you're yeah. Just, yeah. And the, the, the pursuer distancer in marriage, marriage and family therapy parlance. And I think it's just like you're working with that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. most yeah. of the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even as you were talking about the, uh, you know, the mono and the poly, like, always mm-hmm. kind of emerging, like, that dynamic, the person mm-hmm. who's more mono or more poly, definitely made me think of the pursuer-distancer relationship. You know, like, how in every relationship there's kind of always someone that's, like, more of a pursuer and more of a distancer. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a spectrum, so we all yeah. fall on that spectrum in different places, so it makes sense that there's always one person that's, like, more to one side of that spectrum, because we're all such unique, special snowflakes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's really interesting because Corey just scoffed at me. <laughs> Not the first time. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting because people like like somebody usually because they have they have this quality that they don't have. Yeah. So like you know usually there will be somebody who's more like maybe social and um, and a partner that's like more dyadic or wants more like one on one time and then you have. And they like that about the other one during the dating part, right? Because because the person who, you know, is more social maybe, like, opens doors for the other partner. And the partner who's more dyadic does, like, more of the relationship labor. Um, and then over time, they, like, come to really disdain these differences that they mm-hmm. initially celebrated. So, 
you know, it's really interesting to watch people try to, like, try to come back to a place where they can negotiate those roles in ways that work better and are more flexible. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where he's like, I'll go back to my DBT class. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go touch dumpsters. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> but that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Dunch, dump, dumpster touching. Dump, yeah. Well. Just said trump, Trumpster dunching. Yeah. I think. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> you got to face um, your fear. So there's one, one last question that we have. Okay. The final question. Um, and this was uh, brought... Um, I kind of rephrased the question a little bit. But ultimately the question is, um, like, have you ever known clients that where their, their kind of sexual behaviors don't line up with, like, their political or maybe religious beliefs? So, like, where... You know, um, like, the first example that comes to my mind is, like, a feminist engaging in, like, a master-slave dynamic. Yeah. Or, like, a BDSM-type relationship, which I know certainly exists. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think, like, religious beliefs. Maybe, you know, someone engaging in, like, non-vanilla, non-missionary sex um, and being mm-hmm. a hardcore Christian or something. Like, how those um, dynamics might be kind of negotiated in people's internal worlds. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I I think of that that that's a really interesting question. And um, as like I grew up very religious um, and in a very religious environment, and there was a lot of like normalizing around sex and sexual behavior, and I, it's given me a lot to process as far as like hom- like homophobia and mm-hmm. kink- and then I'm you know I am these things, but I have judgment about these things. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So and I think like the the feminism thing that comes up very frequently where people are like, I am a strong empowered woman and I would like to show up in this way. And I have this desire that feels incongruent. Um, and I think a lot of that work with clients is just about helping them, um, like, first of all, normalize those fantasies Mm -hmm. and realize where they come from. And, um, well, I don't, I don't think you're ever going to know sometimes where, where they come from. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like normalizing them and, and making them realize that those things are okay. Um, I don't really know what else to I'm trying to think about what else to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, you know, the question itself is like, does that happen? Like, are, do yeah. we have, you know, um, sexual belief or sexual behaviors that aren't in congruence with our belief system, and I think the answer is, like, a huge yes. Like, that's okay. That's normal. You know, like, we don't have to have the same political views inside and out of the bedroom. Yeah. You know? Like, you can act out desires without feeling like um, that's how the world is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think of, like, like con, non-con is, like, consensual non-consent is, like, a big piece of this. People Mm -hmm. who have, like, rape fantasies Mm -hmm. and things like that. And I've heard somebody... Um, tell me a long time ago that they basically, the, the reason they started having rape fantasies was because they were in a very religious environment. Mm. Um, and it wasn't okay to have sex that you agreed to, but if like it happened to you, then, you know, then they were in the, and then it started to become a very powerful Mm. part of their fantasy life. Yeah. Um, and for a lot of other people, I don't think you're never going to have like that direct of a correlation. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say that we all have like this trauma from like growing up in 
like a patriarchal system and sometimes like figuring out a way to sometimes kink can be a great way to process that trauma in an environment that's actually safe actually consensual um as opposed to like out there in the world where those things aren't Mm-hmm. necessarily true mm-hmm. yeah like yeah. being objectified in a sexual relationship is a whole different experience than being objectified in well yeah i mean there's real the life le- the mm-hmm. level you know the layer of consent mm-hmm. and want and mm-hmm. communication around it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and the ability to say like stop that yeah <laughs> yeah and like the context when yeah. it actually doesn't feel good yeah <laughs> yeah like this uh this conversation is making me think of um have you guys heard about the um like the of course, you guys have heard the song "Baby, It's Cold Outside." I was just thinking Christmas. about that. Yes, uh-huh. yeah, it's Christmas time. So, like the song, we've all heard it probably. Yeah, it's like this, you know, story, song, story type situation where, uh, you know, I really can't stay. Oh God, baby, it's cold outside. You would just sing it because that would like <laughs> to go away. It's cold outside. So it's like, uh, you know, this negotiation of boundaries, and like uh-huh. I remember, like a couple of years ago. There was, like, this big explosion of people who were, like, this song is really inappropriate. Like, it's talking about rape. It's talking about, like, date rape. You know, like, this, Mm -hmm. um, what's in that drink? You know, like, ha ha. Um, And then I I read this follow-up piece, I think, this year that was talking about how the context for that scenario happening was, um, like, a culture that was inhibiting women's sexuality. So the only way that women could engage in consensual Mm -hmm. sex is after they said no a bunch of times. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that, um, it was never appropriate for women to be like, yeah, I'm going to stay over. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. it was more like, no, 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 I can't, I, I can't, can't, I can't. Um, and, uh, oh, and it has to be all these circumstances, which would make it like, I, it's not safe to go outside and, yeah. mm-hmm. oh, you, this drink is so strong. I just can't even drive. Yeah. I'm not, even, I'm not in my clear mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want this. So it's like, yeah. and then, um, you know, like, just like the conversation of whether or not that song really embodies like sexual agency or not, mm-hmm. because like the context for that song might be different. The context for today feels pretty icky, uh-huh. yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it's pretty gross to listen. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. you can understand that. And it's still kind of gross yeah. to listen to I because, yeah. I was looking, well, when I just checked my phone, it's because I was looking for a Mima. Amima? Amima, that I saved, but I can't find it. The one, um, the one where, like, at the end, it's like, maybe it's just a crappy Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it, it was the like, brain explosion? The brain explosion, and it was like, you know, maybe it's cold outside is a holiday <laughs> song, and it was like, yeah. you know, all what you just said. It's misogynistic. And then it was like, yeah, the, yeah, and then it was just like, maybe it's just a bad song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, um, one, the thing that I thought was hilarious, that, like, the creepiest part of the song for me was when she's like... Oh, what's in this drink? Yeah. Right? And then I read this article that was talking specifically about that line, that that was uh-huh. like a joke of the time. Like, that was like a, a joke that was used in different movies, mm-hmm. um, where any time, like, a, um, like, it was often, like, a female character was, like, making a joke, you mm-hmm. know, and they'd be like, oh, like, I'm being so silly, like, what's in this drink, you know, yeah. like, this, like, dramatic thing that, like, um, you know, actresses would say in movies, um, and I was just like, whoa, like, context. Yes. So yeah. important. Yeah. yeah. So maybe in, you know, 50 years, they'll be talking about, um, you know, all these crappy uh, modern TV and media stuff. We have like, oh, wow, so yeah. monogamous and oh, yeah. <laughs> heteronormative and shaming. <laughs> if, if you live in Portland, there's probably CBD in your drink. Yeah. What's in this Oh, goodness. That's so great. 
great. Well, um, I really appreciate that you joined us today, Lauren. Um, thank you for having me. This yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. yeah. I learned a lot. <laughs> Are you a um, long-time listener, first-time caller? Long-time listener, first-time... Yeah. No. <laughs> I, like, meant to listen yeah. to the other podcast before I showed up, and it's then, okay. like, I heard, yeah. like, ten minutes of one, yeah. and then, yeah, that was it. What did you say? You were like, I think you guys were talking about your pets. <laughs> yeah. I think you were talking about cats for, yeah. like, a very long time. Yeah. That's likely. Um, I mean, if you've met either one of us, it's just, like, you can imagine what the podcast is yeah. like. It's just us talking. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Lauren, if someone were to be listening to this and they wanted to find you, yeah. um, not in like a creepy way, <laughs> if they wanted to find you in a professional capacity, yes. how could they find you? Uh, they could find me, like my, my website for my therapy practice is www.convergencetherapy.com. Convergence with a G? Convergence, yeah. Um, so that's my therapy practice. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, yeah. Lauren awesome. Pritz, everyone. Thank Lauren you. Pritz. Yeah, yeah thank thanks you. for awesome. coming on. Yeah, yeah, and then, um, for all of our listeners out there, as always, you know, like, let us know if we got it wrong. You please. know, if anything we say, say offended you or made you feel uncomfortable, please let us know. We um, would like to correct any mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> We're always learning. Lifelong always learners. Learning. Um, mm-hmm. We also, um, you know, still really appreciate all of you guys' questions, and if you like what you're hearing, please, like, rate us five star um, wherever you listen to your podcasts, because that's essentially, like, the only way that um, podcast apps kind of distribute is by ratings, which is bonkers. And also, we like the validation. Yeah, yeah we do like the validation. Therapists who like validation. <laughs> Um, I like to be told I'm doing a good job. You're like so good, be... Corey. You're so good. You're so good, Emily. You're so good, Lauren. Yeah, I, I actually like to be degraded about the job. Uh, uh, you're the worst. That's definitely my kink. Bad. <laughs> Thank you. And that's my work friend. But yeah. don't rate them one star on yeah. my account. Yeah. But, you know, like... Yeah. Go to his website. Yeah, rate him one star. Um, okay, yeah. So, so give us a rating. You know, like, um, reach out. Talk to us. Find us on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, LaCroix, if you're listening, we are happy to do sponsored ads. <laughs> Still. Yeah. Us up. Really interested in either doing Pinot Gris or LaCroix sponsored ads. So if you're out there. Also, maybe like cat toys. Cat toys? I feel like that would yeah. be a good segue. Yeah. You... Okay, we're done. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Thank Bye, guys. you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Adulting Therapists. To learn more about us, you can find Emily at sprouttherapypdx.com or on Instagram at sprouttherapypdx. And you can find Corey at coryantoncounseling.com. See you for your next session!